Welcome to Spam 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 Humbug, episode 14, <clears throat> New Project Britannia, and I'll get to what that means in <clears throat> just a moment. But first, just wanted to give a, a couple of a quick shout-outs and also introductions. Uh, you got two of us on the podcast tonight. You've got myself with Stan the Fury Dragon, and we are also joined by Linguistic Dragon. Hello! So, um, first off, shout-outs. Uh, I'd really like to give a shout-out to Cody. He's one of our backers on Patreon, and he actually recently adjusted his pledge uh, a little bit upward. That was a really cool thing to do, so thank you, good sir. <clears throat> and also, a note of thanks to uh, Juliet, who sent in the first topic suggestion we've actually received to date. That's right, thus far we've... Uh, We've actually thought up all of the topics that we've talked about ourselves, and tonight's no different. But she did have a great suggestion. She wonders if we would consider doing an episode on how the Ultima series handles the subject, or maybe subjects, of masculinity and femininity, and how these are explored in different characters and or the virtues. Um, <clears throat> now, we're not going to get into that today. Uh, it's a wonderful suggestion. Thank you so much, Juliet. Uh, but we do need a little more time to prepare and do some research. Because that's not exactly the shallow end of the topic pool. <laughs> <clears throat> She's also something of a fan of linguistics writings, uh, by the way. So, good job, good sir. Well, full <clears throat> disclosure, she's a friend of mine. We've swapped right. writing tips and samples and ideas for a long time now, so... Nice. Okay, so, <clears throat> topic, Project New Britannia. Now, <clears throat> what does that even mean? Well, let's go into a little bit of history first. Project Britannia is a name that will hopefully, most likely, ring a bell to any Ultima fan that has followed the development of numerous fan projects that emerged during um, the first decade of this century, basically. <clears throat> It was born from a technological and artistic collaboration between Team Lazarus, so this was Ian Fraser and his team, the guys who developed, uh, and sorry, the guys and girls who developed uh, Ultima 5 Lazarus, and Team Archon, uh, who developed the Ultima 6 project. <clears throat> both teams were originally working separately on their respective Ultima remakes. Now, both were using the Dungeon Siege engine to do it. And they both had their different strengths and shortcomings, and it actually, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think Team Lazarus definitely had the artistic edge, whereas Archon, I think, had the technical edge, <clears throat> if I recall correctly. So, it became obvious to them at some point that sharing resources would be the, the best way to ensure that both projects ultimately came to fruition, which in turn led to the birth of Project Britannia, and you can actually still check it out. The website's at projectbritannia.com. Um, it's not being actively developed anymore, and I don't know how active the forums are, but you can still find, you know, a lot of the historical discussion that went on there. <clears throat> the project itself was a really wonderful endeavor that aimed to offer a complete set of game systems and a complete map of Britannia to use as the technical 
basis, and in some respects the artistic basis, for other Ultima fan projects. And while it never achieved wide use beyond the two projects that helped create it, Project Britannia is what allowed uh, for both Lazarus and the Ultima 6 project to be completed. So if there's a takeaway here, um, I hope it is that uh, as fans we gain (laughs) strength from unity, from collaborative efforts, rather than by slaving away in our own separate ways. Now, as noted there, Project Britannia didn't go on to serve as the foundation for other projects, kind of contra the the hopes of the development team. Um, Early plans for Ultima Return, or as Sergon Dragon called it at the time, Return to the Serpent Isle, toyed with the idea of using Dungeon Siege and the Project Britannia framework. Um... But multiple design issues and the dated feel of the Dungeon Siege engine and its somewhat arcane control scheme um, led to the decision to create Ultima Return with the Neverwinter Nights 2 engine instead. Um, Oh, and let's not also, I guess, forget to mention Dungeon Siege's rather staggering compatibility issues (laughs) with newer Windows versions, uh, an issue that would really only be uh, exacerbated by the fact that Return would take years to develop. Um, And the same would go, you know, would hold for any other project that wanted to pick up Project Britannia and run with it. I mean, their materials are, as far as I know, all still available, but you're already dealing with the fact that Dungeon Siege is pretty significantly... Not an easy matter to get running right now. No. Not at all. It's actually really significantly incompatible with uh, with Windows 8, and I don't imagine Windows 10 is going to improve <clears throat> this matter. So, and of course, you know, I mean, it takes time to build these projects. It does. So, you add a few years on top of that, a couple more OS generations, and it, it's really... It's not something... It gets to be messy. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of a losing prospect there. Uh, another one of the... Uh, motivating factors in the decision by the return team, Team Return, to use Neverwinter Nights 2 was the work done by a project called Realms of Ultima, the team behind which was able to design actually a really mind-blowing ship travel system for use in Neverwinter Nights 2 modules. Um, Realms of Ultima was intended from the start to serve much the same purpose as Project Britannia, Uh, and this was a sentiment that Team Return shared. So, uh, Realms of Ultima did release a few things. I think they had a Moongate system. Don't quote me on that, but I think they did. And Team Return ultimately released uh, what they called the Unified System for Neverwinter Nights 2, which was a set of features and Ultima-like systems for use with Neverwinter Nights 2 modules. Stuff like, I think there was an inventory module, um, possibly, if I recall correctly, there was a character creation thing. Um, it was a few different things. <laughs> Of course, it also can't be said that uh, Ultima fan projects have really blossomed around Neverwinter Nights 2 either, and that engine in turn is beginning to seem dated in its own right to say nothing of its somewhat user-unfriendly control scheme. Um, I mean, it was was an alright control scheme in its day, but there certainly has been a lot of standardization since, when did that come out, 2004, roughly? Sounds right. It was definitely before 2006, I know that. Mm. <clears throat> well, 
At any rate, there's been another decade of um, iteration and standardization that's happened in control schemes. <clears throat> I know not everyone's a fan of WASD, although it does, you know, work for the most part. I know Richard Garriott's actually not the hugest fan of WASD either. Um, <clears throat> there's a, I still have to publish an interview with him in which he talks about, you know, how he really actually liked the locked-in mouse-look controls of Ultima 9. Um, and, you know, the fact that the movement keys were actually not the letter keys at all. Uh, and that was deliberate, because, of course, you know, that game still features typed elements, right? So right. his whole idea, the whole idea in architecting that particular control scheme was that to move the avatar around, you would never have to touch a letter key. The letter keys would be free for their use as letter keys. Anyways... <clears throat> Um, I really need to get that interview online. <sighs> yes, you do. I'd find that interesting. <clears throat> Anyways, side note. Um, so, <clears throat> while nothing really blossomed around Neverwinter Nights 2, uh, and we'll talk a tiny bit more about that here shortly, It ultimately I don't think it can be said that efforts like Project Britannia or like the you know efforts of Realms of Ultima or Team Return were for nothing. Um, especially when collaborations of this nature have led to successfully completed projects in the past. Um, and there are collaborative efforts of a different sort that continue to this day, as can be seen in the sharing of art and code between um, the Savage Empire and Ultima VI remakes for Exult. <clears throat> but I do... Uh, and this is actually... <laughs> this is the big reason... <clears throat> Uh, that I've been so long, and I apologize to, to Sergon Dragon, and uh, <clears throat> also to Iceblade for this, because this is the part that I've really kind of struggled with uh, in terms of how to, to write it and frame it. I wrote once that the Neverwinter Nights 2 engine would serve well as the go-to engine for Ultima remakes and for other fan projects, and at the time, in 2011, it made sense to make that assertion. What did I write at the time? The future of Ultima storytelling, whether in the form of remakes or in the form of fans crafting mods that tell new stories, as is the case with Ultima Return, <clears throat> needs one of two things. Preferably, it needs to see more teams picking up and running with one of the freely available 3D engines, like Unity or the Unreal Engine, and using those to craft their works. But failing that, it needs to see teams picking up and running with a game that offers several key features, including a decent graphics engine that won't look egregiously dated, at least for a while, um, preferably third-person view during normal gameplay, really preferably a you know top-down or isometric view, but <clears throat> let's not be too picky, a robust toolkit and scripting interface that allows for modification of nearly every aspect of the game, a large library of 3D assets, and or a large and supportive content creation community, availability, and ease of use. <clears throat> now, I include the last point because I want to draw a distinction here. Uh, games like Morrowind and Oblivion are also definitely contenders for, you know, a possible go-to engine for an Ultima remake. And again, this is still what I wrote in 2011. However, my admittedly limited experience with their modding environments left me with the impression that these are not the easiest games in the world to edit and reshape into Ultima's image, whereas, conversely, Neverwinter Nights 2 meets all of the criteria detailed above. Um, 
Its graphics engine is more than decent. It'll still look nice some years from now. And actually, you know, looking at it from the 2015 perspective, it's not a bad-looking game. But, four years later, while there's nothing technically invalid about what I wrote, Neverwinter Nights 2 has really largely faded as a viable option for just about anyone with an interest in storytelling via yeah. game mods. Um, and not just because the Neverwinter Vault seems to have been taken permanently offline, despite IGN's assertion to the contrary. I checked, actually, this morning. Um, if you go to nwvault.ign.com, it still redirects you to the now more than a year old notice on the Neverwinter Wiki that IGN hosts, saying the Neverwinter Vault's oh, offline for a while, we're working to bring it back. Fail. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a good word for it. <clears throat> yeah, and I still actually haven't checked in as to... Um, the st- I know there was a project working to restore that content because some people had taken like snapshots of it but I don't know where that's at <clears throat> and that's a ton of stuff to host yeah I haven't checked that myself recently either anyways um, one of the reasons I think that you know or another reason that you know Neverwinter Nights 2 really doesn't count uh, for what I said it did back in 2011 anymore is that you know other newer and better options have come along if you really do want to use a game to make a mod um <clears throat> divinity original sin ships with powerful editing tools sword coast legends uh, which is coming out soon may also ship with one it's as well and actually both of those games offer you not just a third person view but in fact more of an isometric type view you know if you really want to uh <clears throat> To, to go for that sort of much older school RPG feel, uh, which does seem to be a little bit in vogue these days. And then there's a tiny little game called Skyrim, um, which... Oh yeah, I think I've heard of that one. Sold a few copies. You know. Started a few internet memes. Something about arrows. Yeah, just a little knees. thing. Anyways, um, <clears throat> it supports, of course, truly massive open worlds. Um, and it also supports, actually, really a, a, a lot of very Ultima-like features, including object interactivity. Um, if you read the interview that the Ultima Codex did with Bill Randolph, who was, you know, the lead programmer for Ultima 9, um, he specifically called out Skyrim, actually, as, you know, being um, <clears throat> a, a modern game that, you know, really achieves much of what the vision for Ultima 9 was, at least in terms of, you know, how the uh, world was uh, to be interacted with, and yeah, so you know, and I mean, again, 2011 when I wrote that initial article, Skyrim was not on the radar at the time, so but anyways, all this talk about other games' engines. But should we even be using other games' engines? Now, there's a question. Uh, and, you know, the core issue there, the core issue really with um, with developing a framework for Ultima and for Shroud of the Avatar fans uh, to... Uh, to use in developing their own projects is that, you know, over the years, and out of necessity, Ultima fan projects have opportunistically made use of extant game engines, well, 
just games and their engines, really. Um, whether it's Dungeon Siege or Neverwinter Nights or Neverwinter Nights 2 or, you know, I don't know if anybody's doing anything in Divinity the Original Sin right now. It hasn't been brought to my attention if so, but... <clears throat> the decision to go this route... Um, has, you know, I mean, it's based on the needs of these teams for specific game features and on the availability of editing tools for, you know, the chosen games and engines, editing tools that meet the skill level of the team using them, right? You know, um, the Neverwinter Nights 2 editor is a little bit more complex version. It's called Electron, and it's a tiny bit more complex version of the Aurora toolset, which shipped with the original Neverwinter Nights. Um, <clears throat> but it's still pretty easy to jump into and figure out and you know, make your way with. Uh, the Divinity Toolkit is substantially more complicated. Uh, I've poked around with it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it's ludicrously powerful. <clears throat> you know, like, it, I mean, it is, you know, it's the same toolkit that they used to build the entire game. It's ludicrously powerful. You can do a ton with it. But it's definitely, um, there's a learning curve there. <laughs> with great power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Comes, yeah comes great headache <laughs> there we go exactly oh hang on here quick response to a text from my wife who is trying to call one of our friends well uh yes i think so okay where was i <clears throat> right so as anyone who has worked on, you know, a project like this, one that makes use of another game's engine, can attest. I mean, certainly it's something that I can speak to. The use of a pre-existing engine with a pre-existing set of assets can still actually be a really grueling process. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect Ultima game maker. So, <clears throat> those of us who've attempted these kind of projects, we've all had to We've tried to build our games using these existing engines, using these existing tool sets, and accepting all the limitations that come bundled with these, um, which in turn leads to compromises and in essence to cheating with these engines and their existing systems to make them seem as Ultima-like as possible, while also trying to hide other related issues and the not nearly as Ultima-like features from the players. <clears throat> And it's not that, you know, these game engines lack for versatility necessarily. I mean, obviously a very successful recreation of Ultima V was achieved with the Dungeon Siege engine. Who would have ever imagined that a working ship system could be implemented in that? Or that, you know, a gypsy yeah, no character... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> or, you know, who would have thought that we could get a gypsy character creation sequence with its own rule set implemented in Neverwinter Nights 2? <clears throat> but still, the decision to, you know, pick up and run with these uh, existing games and their engines can lead to issues. Um, you have, you know, the, the instabilities of Lazarus and the Ultima 6 projects. Um, older games especially tend to break down when you push them to their limits. Uh, I remember trying to build a farmer's field in Neverwinter Nights, the, the, first, uh, the first game, <clears throat> and, you know, placing, like, individual plants, rows of crops, right? And after about a hundred plants, the scene's load time jumped from less than oh, a minute dear. to north of ten minutes. <clears throat> oh boy, I can imagine. What optimization? <laughs> 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 uh, 
And like as not, uh, Ultima fans and their projects do have a tendency to push game engines to their limits. Um, there are other considerations as well. With fan projects split between multiple game engines, and almost every form of collaborative effort between project teams is prevented outright. Um, <clears throat> which, you know, unfortunately does kind of fly in the face of the example of Project Britannia, which shows us, again, that collaborative work, uh, especially for these really complicated projects, is probably the best means of ensuring that at least some, if not all, of these projects reaches completion. And again, there's really no proper engine and toolkit which is perfectly or even ideally suited to making an Ultima game. No matter what form of Ultima one favors, development based on an existing game's engine is basically all about compromising and cheating your way around the limitations of whatever engine you've chosen. To say nothing of the fact that, you know, <clears throat> you're still using an engine that was used to make another game, which in turn requires project teams to ask fans to buy a game that they might not actually be interested in playing otherwise, you know. <clears throat> I mean, sure, you know, Neverwinter Nights is relatively cheap on GOG, but if nobody has any interest in playing it, um, are they still going to drop, you know, 20 bucks to get it and all of its expansions? Just to play... Exactly. Whatever. So, <clears throat> now of course... There's the obvious objection. Well, we really don't have any other choice. But I have to wonder, now in 2015, if that's really true. I mean, we could say it was true for a long time. But I don't think it's true anymore. Since the days of Lazarus, one game engine in particular has kind of become the go-to engine for both professional and amateur projects alike, and I've actually already mentioned it. It's Unity. Um, now, back in 2011, Unity was still basically an engine for making mobile games. But since that time, and especially since about 2013, it has really come to the fore as this powerful, versatile engine for making desktop PC games. Um, and in fact has been used by a number of game development companies, both independent and publisher-owned, to create a variety of titles, including several notable RPGs. Uh, just Wasteland 2, Pillars of Eternity, um, Might and Magic 10, actually, was also created with Unity. Uh, and of course, oh, you know, right. you Tournament was, Tides of Numenera coming up. Say what, sir? Woo! Yes. <laughs> I, I've forgotten Might and Magic 10 used that too, yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, that was Limbic Entertainment uh, under Ubisoft. Um, and of course, yeah, you got Torment, Tides of Numenera coming out. Um, <clears throat> In Exile didn't tap Unity for the Bard's Tale, they're going with Unreal Engine 4, but, you know, still, I mean, this is an engine that Shroud of the Avatar, you know, <laughs> that, that other... Yeah. That, that other game that I've mentioned. <laughs> um... <clears throat> And, you know, it's actually really good, too, to, to mention Shroud alongside something like Pillars, because it demonstrates that, you know, you can achieve a couple of different styles of game using this one engine, right? I mean, Pillars is very much, you know, it's intended as a throwback to, you know, like Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, uh, Icewind Dale, that top-down isometric view of the Infinity engine, whereas Shroud 
takes you know the more modern approach uh going for you know that over the shoulder third person um rpg style or though actually it's not even <clears throat> it's over the shoulder if you want it to be but you actually have a lot of control over the positioning of the camera um so i mean i can actually pitch the camera up and kind of give myself a quasi isometric view i can't really zoom out too too far but it still works <clears throat> anyway <clears throat> um Why Unity? There are actually a lot of good reasons to, to pick this engine and run with it. Um, although first, I think probably good to discuss, you know, the one downside of it. And this is, you know, the main advantage of using a game engine and the main disadvantage of using, sorry, the main advantage of using another game's engine and its existing battery of assets versus using Unity. <clears throat> using Unity isn't, you know, guaranteed to be a walk in the park and in fact um, setting out to create a project britannia like framework with it the the first <laughs> the the early days of that are not going to be easy at all they're going to be some of the most difficult ones primarily <clears throat> it's because in many respects you're starting from scratch i mean yes there are existing asset sets and systems available through unity through its asset store that could help us get a head start not all of them are free and we'll come back to that point uh, shortly here but <coughs> you know in a lot of ways we're going to be building things from scratch we won't have the vast quantity of pre-made content that a pre-existing game engine and toolkit would include out of the box a lot of systems especially uh, will have to be coded from scratch and maybe a lot of art uh, created as well Still, while the early days of a new Project Britannia framework would likely be long and difficult, um, they would still be worthwhile in the long run and would enable, more than ever before, the creation of fan projects. So, <clears throat> to, to borrow a phrase from Ultima 7, why should we strive for unity? <laughs> well, the first thing is, I mean, <laughs> just got that. <laughs> Just don't don't uh, say that worthiness <clears throat> precedes reward. If you do, I might have to do something. <laughs> I think I think if I'm not mistaken, it was Browncoat Jason who who coined that. He he actually made a couple of little banner images that had you know like the Unity logo kind of done up as a fellowship logo. Strong. <laughs> it's really quite funny. <clears throat> <laughs> I actually wanted to I said you know what our first whatever the first kit we release if we put anything on the asset store should just be called strive and <laughs> you know, that would be strive for unity oh boy <clears throat> yeah exactly oh boy <laughs> but uh, you know <clears throat> would anybody who didn't work on the project get the joke I don't think so but anyways <clears throat> what are some Still of the totally worth it Yes, you're probably right. Still totally worth it. Inside jokes are always worth it. All right, so, but what are some of the reasons for using Unity? Um, well, no cost. I mean, the basic version of the engine is free, so allowing any developer to just jump right in. Um, <clears throat> the asset store. While Unity is free, I mean, it also has its asset store. This is like an iTunes app store of content, okay, for the engine which could prove useful for projects. There's a strong argument to be made that it's you know, really better for a project team to cobble together a hundred bucks now 
for you know to to buy a, a collection of terrain and building assets that would work for their project rather than struggling for a year or more to find a 3D artist to make each asset anew in his spare time. To say nothing of the fact that the asset store does have some free assets available uh, as well, and that, you know, a lot of the asset packs are actually regularly discounted at different times of the year. No game purchases required. By using Unity, project teams free fans from the need to buy a potentially very dated game that they won't care about or will struggle to make work on modern operating systems. Instead, fans will just be able to download the finished project and play it directly. Or even possibly play it in a web player. Cross-platform. Out of the box, Unity allows for projects to be released on PC, OS X, I guess I should say more Windows, because PC has kind of become a more all-encompassing term, in no small part, thanks to this engine. You know, But you can release a Unity project for Windows, for Apple's OS X, and for Linux. Um, porting fan projects to mobile, or even targeting a fan project at mobile, is also a possibility. <clears throat> and man, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, we did just come off a uh, come off an episode where we talked about getting stuff running on mobile platforms. So, exactly. And I mean, you know, I, I've mentioned before that you know I think during the E three episode we also you know I at least harped on the fact that uh, Square seems to be doing well. You know, reworking the Final Fantasy games and releasing them for mobile. Yes, you and did. Really wish someone would do that with the Ultima games. <clears throat> but anyways, just saying. Just, it's a thing, you know. Um, Modernity. Dungeon Siege, Morrowind, I mean, they were great engines in their day, but they're pretty old now. They're getting long in the tooth. Neverwinter Nights 2 as well. Most of these games aren't being updated anymore. Unity, um, at least for the foreseeable future, is future-proof. It's constantly being improved and updated, uh, which lessens the risks of spending years on a game that... You know, most modern computers will have issues running. Um, <clears throat> there are, you know, some hurdles. Like, I mean, Unity 5 was released earlier this year. Unity was at version 4, um, you know, up until kind of about summer of this year, or like mid-spring of this year. And, you know, so making the jump from Unity 4 to Unity 5 <clears throat> was a bit of a technical hurdle. I know, like, Portalarium had a couple of issues related to that. <clears throat> but, you know... Unity does. Um, <clears throat> Unity provides a lot of really great training and and content, uh, you know, learning learning focused content on their site. So <clears throat> it's not like they just you know leave you blind and in the cold. They do actually try to help you through that transition in in various ways. More obviously if you're a paying customer versus using the free version of the engine, but it's still possible to make that transition and keep you know what you're working on. Um, at, at, you know, the absolute cutting edge, if you want to. I think, you know, I mean, I think Unity 4, you know, is still actually a perfectly viable option. I don't think every project um, <clears throat> that I know is using Unity has even bothered making the switch. Because, you know, it's not like Unity 4 will just stop building for Windows. It's not like Windows will stop supporting it, right? I mean, at least not for the for quite some time. Well, and that in and of itself is another draw, I think, too. The, just the fact that there is a 
it's it's not difficult to find support and uh, basically tutorials and any of that sort of thing to actually get used to doing things in Unity. Yeah, and I mean, like they do have just absolutely great education focused content on their website. It's it's wonderful. So, um, you know, picking up and running with it is is it <clears throat> to at least get yourself started and get yourself through some of the the tutorial projects. I mean, it takes time. You have to invest the time in it for sure. But <clears throat> certainly, within the resources the realm of are doable. out there and readily available. Exactly. Ah. Uh, we already kind of talked about its versatility, but it's worth mentioning that again. You know, Unity allows for the creation of all kinds of RPGs. It, I mean, it actually even has full support for 2D. You know, so you can create simple 2D adventures all the way up to complex, fully 3D worlds. And the idea, the idea behind the new Project Britannia framework is that it'll allow collaborative efforts between different projects, even though these might aim to create different kinds of Ultima experience. I mean... <clears throat> With existing toolsets, fan projects were limited. They had to compromise at every turn. With Unity, the fan community <clears throat> might just actually be able to create that uh, ideal Ultima game maker. Because, you know, <clears throat> if you want to create, you know, an Ultima game, what are the three attributes? Strength, dexterity, intelligence. <laughs> you know, if you can come up with, <clears throat> you know, a good attribute system that impacts things like combat and you know like lock picking and hit percentages and all of that you know if you can come up with a really great system that handles all of the math associated with your strength and your dexterity and your intelligence uh, of your character <clears throat> is that something that could just as easily be grafted into a 2d tile based rpg as into a <clears throat> 3d game Quite possibly, right? Because at the end of the day, if all you need is an Ultima stat system to support whatever style of RPG you're making, well, ideally, you could create just this atomized, hey, here is our Ultima stat system, and here's how you interact with it and feed information to it and pull information out of it, and great, I can grab this and run with it for my 2D RPG, and I can grab this and run with it for my 3D open world, and <clears throat> at least that's the idea. There's also Shroud of the Avatar. It's another uh, another advantage to Unity. I mean, Richard Garriott himself is using the Unity engine for his spiritual successor to the Ultima series. <sighs> and a fan development community with an Ultima-minded vision is already forming around that game and the engine. And while Ultima and Shroud are different properties, they share more than enough of a common fan base that this framework we really hope would appeal to both. Indeed, it would need to. And by using Unity, the technology underpinning Shroud, the new Project Britannia framework serves in pursuit of this goal, especially since Portalarium have actually already begun releasing Shroud of the Avatar assets to their developer-level backers for free, and, in at least one case, to the wider Unity community for purchase. <coughs> And relatedly, Lord British is on the record as saying that, you know, a Unity-based Ultima framework for fan project is a brilliant idea. And he, uh, when we pitched it to him in a hangout, actually, he was very excited at the prospect of, you know, sharing soda assets or systems that the community could use in their projects. 
Oh, that's encouraging. <clears throat> yes, I know. I'll have to actually dig up the hangout. Um, Try and remember the last one I was on, because I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and the other thing Unity has is a really great community. Uh, and this, even outside oh, of yes. Shroud of the Avatar, there's already a, already a very strong existing community of talented developers and content creators, asset creators. So, <clears throat> what is New Project Britannia? The main idea is that... <clears throat> It should be a free and shared code base, which different teams and projects, or even people solely interested in just expanding the framework, could contribute to. In essence, as each Ultima or Shroud of the Avatar fan project team worked on their game, their story, and the specific systems required thereby, these developments could be added into this one parent framework, making them available to be used freely by other teams of fans on their projects. Talked about that a little bit already, you know, if you come up with a basic strength, dexterity, intelligence system that you can, you know, feed numbers into, get numbers out of, to compute, you know, things in combat or things in dialogue or, like, lockpicking, um, that could be set up in such a way that, you know, anybody who wanted to use it could use it, regardless of whether they're making a small little 2D adventure or a much larger in scope 3D adventure. Unity is nothing if not versatile. I mean, the list of games being crafted with the engine is pretty long, and whereas once it was mostly mobile games, it's... Yeah, whereas once it was mobile games, it's uh, it's definitely not just mobile games now. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, and, and that very handily, I think, demonstrates the utility of the engine for creating... Well, just about anything, but in particular, you know, in our case, RPGs. So, in theory, any form of Ultima-inspired or Shroud of the Avatar-inspired game could potentially be crafted with Unity. If Team A over here wants to take a more old-school overhead approach with a separate overland map, you can do that with Unity. If Team B over here wants a fully 3D seamless world with a third or even a first-person view, Unity can do that too. Want to build it with 2D instead? Unity can do that too. But most importantly, these teams could be using the same code base. Any system by one team, unless it was you know specific to maybe 2D or 3D art, um, could be shared effectively with the other teams and projects through the Unity package framework. If Team A creates an NPC scheduling system, they could release that as a Unity package, and Team B can take it for their project. If Team B creates a streamlined stat-affecting virtue system with specific tracking for gains and losses in each virtue, well, they can release that as a Unity package, and Team A could maybe uh, take it and run with it or adapt it to the Ophidian virtues, and Team C could rework it for the new Britannian virtues. Each team, by sharing their updated system with the core framework, bolsters the development of other teams as well. And... To my mind, one of the most important features of New Project Britannia, in addition to systems like these, would be the creation of blank slate maps of Britannia, Serpentile, Novia, possibly the other Cesarean continents as well, for fan project teams to make use of. I mean, having tried to build a couple projects of my own... um, (laughs) Just the the sheer process of creating 
terrain is one of the most uh it's a killer it really is like that'll that'll make or break you when you're trying to do one of these things uh i mean the there's other stuff too like you know building systems or reworking systems to your needs that's not easy but it only took you know i mean again i remember my struggles with never with your nights like it took a lot less time to figure out how to script a, uh, I, I wrote a little scripted sequence where, you know, if you clicked on uh, an invisible object inside a pool, your character would doff all of their armor, hop in the pool, bathe, hop back out of the pool, and put everything back on. Hmm. It took about two hours to figure out the scripting for that. <clears throat> it took many many more hours just to build like one island worth of areas (laughs) (laughs) so but so yeah i mean ideally one of the things that we'd really like to see created with npb with new project britannia would be these you know blank slate maps of britannia serpent isle novia um Possibly even in both, you know, overland style and seamless incarnations, you know. So, I mean, obviously you want the towns created as well. And again, just basic layouts. I mean, sure, if a project team wants to then grab one of these and, you know, make changes here and there, rearrange how the towns are oriented, or, like, turn Trinsic into a big smoldering crater, that's their choice, and they can do it. (laughs) But, you know... It's easier to tweak than it is to start from scratch. Exactly, right? You know, if you have this basic, you know, this base map... that's a lot of effort saved if, you know, anyways. And, you know, the, the other nice thing is because this is, you know, because games like Ultima and Shroud of the Avatar are going to, you know, be set in these, like, it's, does it really matter if Britannia looks the same in three different Ultima fan projects? Or does that make sense that it would? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, or it looks almost the same, right? But, you know. I mean, yes, Britannia changed a ton between each, you know, numbered Ultima in the original series. But I don't think there's any harm in, you know, it looking the more or less the same between any two fan projects now. Working off a similar starting point. <clears throat> exactly. Because, you know, at the end of the days, it's always going to be set... You know, if you're making a game in Britannia, well, it's always going to be set in Britannia. It should look like Britannia. <laughs> Trinsic isn't suddenly going to be in the north. Moonglow isn't suddenly going to be on the mainland. Exactly. If you want to turn Trinsic into a crater, I mean, fine, do it. But, you know, the crater should be just north of the Cape of Heroes, a little to the south of Paws, kind of off to the east of Destard. That's where your crater is. so this would be one of the larger undertakings for the framework but i think it would be well worth the effort if it went on to save future fan projects the the considerable effort of developing um a beautiful 3d incarnation of their settings or you know what even a 2d incarnation of their settings placing a million tiles is no easy feat And, much like the Ultima Return Unified system that was built for Neverwinter Nights 2, you know, the framework would have, again, these specific core features built in. You want that virtue-based character creation system? Sure. NPC schedules, guard AI, um, 
Ideally, we'd be able to provide them all. Uh, and, you know, if at all possible, art as well. Teams could share Ultima and Shroud of the Avatar creatures and designs with each other. Um, someone needs a gazer? Well, you know, that guy over there, he built one like a year ago. You want to use that? Uh, hey, you need gargoyles? Well, here's some rig models. <clears throat> Likewise, we could potentially even create tools to use specifically within the Unity framework that uh, teams would want to share. Do you want an easy-to-use dialogue editor that doesn't require any coding? Uh, that was actually built during the Project Britannia days. Could you build something similar for Unity? I know, I totally essentially, <clears throat> essentially, if you did wind up with multiple fan projects using this one core framework, each project's features and tools would be added to the core, uh, allowing it to grow over months and years until it becomes something very like this, you know, <clears throat> Ultima Game Maker that uh, more than a few people, myself included, have wished for, which could, in turn, enable Ultima and Shroud of the Avatar fans to build their own games and projects using pre-made systems and assets, um, <clears throat> eliminating much of the grunt work of asset and system development and world building as possible, um, <clears throat> leaving these teams more time to craft meaningful stories or to script really neat stuff you know, in the world that <clears throat> you know, maybe falls a little bit outside the purview of the framework. But I think a lot of it comes down to you know, just freeing up people to create a story rather than becoming bogged down in years of technical development. Um, <clears throat> because you know what? We're just fans, you know? We don't run multi-million dollar studios. We have day jobs <laughs> and families. <laughs> so, um, is this crazy? Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it is a crazy and enormous an endeavor. But in a certain sense, you know, we're at a bit of a crossroads here, I think. A, a historic time for the community. Shroud of the Avatar has really reawakened uh, the passions and ultimate memories of so many. The Ultima and Shroud of the Avatar communities, communities are really... <clears throat> they're still growing, and they're presented with a chance, I think, of, you know growing still yet larger and fostering anew this spirit of creativity that uh, has maybe been dwindling a little bit in recent years. Um, it won't be easy. It, it won't be a short thing. It, <clears throat> it'll be long and difficult. But I think in the end, uh, New Project Britannia is an endeavor that would help a number of fan projects bloom and many more story you know and allow for many more stories and adventures to be told both in the ultima and shroud of the avatar universes <clears throat> and if all of that sounded really cool to you and if you want to uh <laughs> to jump in and help out um <clears throat> we are We've launched a new Project Britannia portal uh, at the Ultima Codex. Check it out at npb.ultimacodex.com. The link will be in the show notes. Um, for now, it is basically just an information portal. Everything I've discussed in the podcast here is echoed there. Um, but it's something we do hope to grow in time uh, in partnership with the Digital Lyceum, which is already a bit of an asset repository, although it could certainly stand to grow and expand. And, of course... Uh, 
in partnership with the Ultima and Shroud of the Avatar fandoms. <clears throat> and uh, also in partnership with, uh, spoiler alert, because <clears throat> I don't think they've really announced any of their efforts yet, but uh, Iceblade mm-hmm. said I could put a thing on the website, so I'm going to do that. Um, Forgotten World. The the Ultima 9 nice. mod. <clears throat> so, if you're interested, um, get in touch. Ultimacodex at gmail.com or there's a contact form on the new Project Britannia website. Um, we will We will make it work from there. And that uh, that brings us that brings us to the end of what I had to say tonight. Um, so always remember. Um, well, actually, before I go, linguistic. Any other uh, comments, thoughts, digressions? <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly just the fact that I'm excited to see where this leads. I mean, like like uh, like we've mentioned before, it'd be a daunting task right at the very beginning in the early days, but. Um, the more that's in there, the uh, more accessible it's going to be to, well, people like me, frankly. I'm a writer, and that's pretty much all I've got. I, I have absolutely no skill whatsoever with uh, the visual arts. I only have minimal programming experience. And, you know, the more that's out there that I can use without necessarily having to put in all the work myself, it makes it easier to actually get something out there. And, you know, the more we... The more accessible we can get that, the uh, the more stories we can tell. Definitely. Yeah, and that's really the idea. I mean, Unity actually kind of already... And that's the beauty of using Unity, is the fact that, you know, Unity kind of already is trying to do that. I mean, the, the, the social term for it seems to be democratization of, of <laughs> game development. The idea being that, you know, yeah, you're a really talented writer, but you have not too much experience with coding... Well, again, here's the asset store. It's got a lot of systems. Um, they're all very well documented. They've been tested. You know, here, just grab the ones that you need, and here's how you kind of plug into them. You can actually even grab stuff. There's a thing called Ply Game, um, P-L-Y Game, um, which is kind of an extension that adds... <clears throat> it's kind of a combination of, like, a, a, an action RPG toolkit for more for, like, the systems, right? For, for making right. like a basic ARPG. But the thing is, it uses an adaptation of MIT's Scratch for its coding interface. So it's not even code, right? It's just, you know, oh, blocks. Wow. So. <clears throat> or on the other hand, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're a really talented coder, um, and maybe you've got a friend who's a half-decent writer, but neither of you has time to learn how to use blender <clears throat> you know th- this has always been my and i mean i made this you know the same argument earlier in the podcast but it's worth repeating right i mean you know is it worth what's my time worth right like if, am i going to spend two years trying to figure out how to build all the medieval village assets i need in blender and texturing them and making them look right and <clears throat> or am I just going to go and shell out 25 bucks for something that the hedgehog team has created? Or am I going to maybe go a little bit more expensive than that, shell out 75 bucks for, uh, for whatever Manufactura K4 has created? Because that guy creates some amazing artwork, you know, that, that even with a couple of years of good practice with Blender, I'd never be able to duplicate anyways. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things <laughs> where, <clears throat> yeah, it it stops being free at that point, <coughs> but uh, it could still well be worth it because if it saves me two years of lag time, might not be the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, yes, npb.ultimacodex.com, ultimacodex.gmail.com, or ultimacodex at, rather, gmail.com, if, you, uh, if you'd like to contribute. Or, actually, for that matter, if you'd like to uh, recommend uh, podcast episode topics, or volunteer your time as a podcast contributor, or uh, recommend people for a shout-out, um, you can also hit that email address for that purpose. As well, there's the Ultimate Dragons group on Facebook. Uh, there's also one on Google+. Links will be in the show notes. If you're on Twitter, there's the UDIC hashtag, uh, which I still underuse, but, you know, definitely think about spamming that. And finally, of course, um, just to wrap up, there is, of course, still the Ultima Codex Patreon. The $1 pledge gets you access to spam, spam, spam episodes the day before they go live on the Codex proper. And you're helping to maintain it with sufficient funding and expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver all of the things you come looking for thereat, including the Digital Lyceum and, if it takes off, new Project Britannia. So, with that in mind, um, <clears throat> we'll let uh, Linguistic say a quick goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> Fare thee well, everybody. And indeed, yes, fare thee well, and until next time, be virtuous. <laughs>